Well, if you're uh, visiting with us, my name is Ron Cool, and I'm one of the pastors here as well. Last week, we started a new, uh, new sermon series here at, at Hillside, and we uh, started by looking at, uh, we're going to be looking at the first chapters of the book of Genesis, all right? Those opening chapters uh, through the whole series, we hope to get all the way to chapter 11, but for the next few weeks, we're really going to just focus on chapters 1 and 2, and this morning especially, we're going to be focusing on chapter, uh, chapter 1 here, and so I want to read part of uh, Genesis 1 here. Before I do that, um, a couple of things I want to say. Um, first of all, uh, some of you asked me last week about the, uh, the PowerPoint, the keynote stuff that's up there because there was a lot of material and you couldn't write it all down. Um, we are working on hopefully this week, maybe next week. Those will be available on our website along with the sermons. So um, if you want to have those, we're going to have those hopefully available next week. The other thing is I want to give you, before I read from Genesis, and I'm going to read from the middle of chapter one this week. We read the first part last week. We'll read the middle and then the last part next week. Um, just going to give you a little structure of how Genesis 1 is set up, all right? And, and as we look at the days of creation, and you'll see kind of the, the organization of this, and it's helpful to remember it by. But on day one, what happens is God creates light, okay? On day two, God separates the sky and the waters, he, the seas, he, the water above and the water below. Day three, God creates the land and vegetation, okay? He forms the land together, gathers that together, and he causes it to grow plants. On day four, and that's where we're going to start reading, and, and you see the parallel here. On day one, he makes light, and day four, he makes the sun, the moon, and the stars. Okay, he fills the firmament, the sky. And then on day five, he makes birds and sea creatures. And again, you see on day two, he made the skies and the, and the waters. Now he makes the birds and the, and the fish. Okay, so he's, he's, he's creating a space and then he's filling it, all right? He's, he's putting stuff into it. And then on day six, he makes the land animals and the humans, okay? And on day three, it was land and plants. So you see what, there's kind of this three-day thing going on and then three days and then day seven is the day of rest. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times. This is day four. And days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. He's filling the water now. And the the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the waters teem and then move about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, beginning of the sixth day, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. The second part of day six does humans. We're going to look at that next week. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. 
I, I just want to do a little bit of review from last week because what we did is we said that it's important to understand the context of, of Genesis and so on. So I want to real quick remind you of those things we talked about. Again, you can go online and listen to this if you want. But we said, oh, you know, who wrote the book of Genesis? And we said the rest of the Bible tells us that it's Moses, that it's Moses who put this book together, who gathered this book together. And, and then we said, really, this is an important thing to think about, but to whom is Moses speaking or writing? And we said, well, he's writing to the children of Israel after they have been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And, 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 and where that becomes important for us last week, and I'll touch on it again this week, is that if you think about it, for 400 years, God's people were in Egypt, and they were exposed to the Egyptian worldview, to the Egyptian gods, to the Egyptian stories of what it means to be human and what it means to, to, to be God and who God is and what it, all these things mean. And, and so when Moses brings the people out into the desert and they're wandering around for 40 years, part of what's going on is God is saying through Moses, I've got to tell you what you've heard is wrong, and I've got to tell you who you really are, all right? And so that raised the question of, well, why did Moses write Genesis, especially 1 and 2? And, and we said that he's not telling us how God created everything, all right? That's just not the purpose. He's not giving us a step-by-step of how, and he's not telling us the literal structure of the universe, okay? That's not, again, his purpose. He, it's very similar in structure to, to the Egyptian worldview, the Babylonian worldview, But he was telling us this so we could know who God is, who we are, and what this world is like. Those are the questions that are behind Genesis 1 and 2. Who is God, who are we, and what is this world like? And so what I want to do for the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing here for the next few weeks, is this morning I want to think about with you, well, what does Genesis 1 tell us about who God is? All right, that's what we're going to look at this morning. It's going to say, what, what does Genesis 1 tell us about who God is? And then the next three weeks after that, we're going to be looking at, well, what does it tell us about who human beings are? What does it tell us about how we should look at ourselves and who we are? So this morning, what we want to do is say, what should we learn about God? What do we learn about who God is from Genesis chapter 1? And I want to suggest and highlight four things. Four things that are, that are essential, that what this, what this opening chapter is, and I hope that, again, I, I find this stuff really, really important for, for kind of understanding who God is and, and who we are and so on. So uh, the first thing is one we touched on last week, but I want to kind of just expand on it and, and hit it again. This is one of the main themes of Genesis 1 and 2. What, what Moses is telling us, what God is telling us, is that, is that God has no competitors, that God has no threats, that God is not in danger of losing things, Okay, that God is not in danger of having this world get out of control. We said that, that the Egyptian story, that, that everything came out of the primordial ooze, the primordial soup, and then the gods came out of it, and the gods were always threatened by this, all right? But in Genesis 1, we see that there's, there's no primordial, primordial ooze, okay? There's none of this stuff that threatens God by that, like that. There, there are no other gods, okay? In the Egyptian system, there were hundreds of gods. But in Genesis 1, we see that there is only one God. We talked about that the sun is not a god. Ra was the sun in Egypt. We said the earth is not a god. But I want to give you a couple more. Uh, there, these things, are, there, there are more than I'm going to give you, but I want to give you a, a couple more just little pictures of how we see that, that God is in control, that, that God is sovereign, that God is overall. The, the next one I think that we can look at is, is, is that making the stars is no big deal for God. Making the stars is, is, is no big deal for God. I mean, stars are impressive. Again, the, the people of Israel, if they're out there in the desert, if they're there, you can imagine just how many stars. Now, they didn't know how many stars there were as well as we do. We know there are more, but they would have just looked up and there would have been so many of them. Look at what Genesis says about God creating the stars. Genesis 1.16 says, God made two great lights, 
the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. As Scott Jose says, this is a dramatic understatement. You know, I mean, there are billions of stars, and it's sort of like, oh, yeah. By the way, God spoke them in. And, and there they are. And, and, and that's, what, again, what part of the picture that we need to get from God is just how great, or from Genesis, is how great God is and, and how big God is. That he just kind of flicks his wrists and there are trillion, trillion stars, right? I, I mean, all of those universes that we looked at, all of those things, all of that stuff that's out there, all of that Milky Way galaxy and all of that. I mean, it was just like, oh, yeah. Let's do this. And God speaks, and it just kind of develops, and it grows. And God is so powerful. He, he, he just kind of also made the stars. So, so making the stars is no big deal for God. Again, you know, in our world, we say, wow, this is just amazing, and it's, and it's huge and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but it's still in the palm of God's hand. And that's what Moses wants us to know. The other thing, it's in it, there, again, there are other ones, but one more I want to highlight here, um, and this one is just really cool, I think. But, but the great creatures of the sea, in the Hebrew, it's the tanin. Okay, the great creatures of the sea are not a threat to God. Now, in the Egyptian system, again, and it's been in every other kind of, really almost every other worldview at that time, there were these great sea creatures, the, the Leviathan, right? Um, for those of us who maybe watched a little Johnny Depp, it was the Kraken. Right? I mean, it's the, the Leviathan, these great creatures of the sea. They, they would come out and, and they would be this huge threat to the world. And again, in the Egyptian stories, in the Egyptian stories, before Ra could create land, he had to cage the, the, the Leviathan. He had to stop the Leviathan. In, in fact, if you kind of look at a picture here, if you remember some of the worldview stuff we did, you know, you've got the, the waters above and the waters below. And you'll notice underneath there, the Leviathan, right? This great sea creature and it was just dangerous and threatening and and it was just really scary and 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 nothing could happen without it again look at what god says in genesis 1 so god created the great creatures of the sea the tanin god made them and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind and god saw that it was good God saw that it was good. I love Psalm 104. Look at what it's going to tell us. And, and then, I, I, how many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, to and, fro and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. This thing that was the biggest threat to the Egyptian world was a little pet of God's. I mean, I love that creature of, that picture of, you know, I mean, God made whales as pets to frolic. I, I, that, when God created, he did this in these monstrous creatures, these huge things, that they're supposed to frolic in the seas. They're just supposed to dance. They're supposed to sing. That's what God created them for. And so these sea monsters... These sea monsters that we read about in Genesis 1, they are created by God, and they are good. And these things that are so often a threat to us are ultimately, we need to recognize, created by God. And, and that's why we say, God is sovereign. And, and, and this is just essential for us as Christians to know. Because in, in a world that so often feels out of control, we need to know that God is always in control. In a world that so often seems full of threats, right? I, I, I mean, the threat of disease, 
the threat of, of brokenness in relationships, the threat of, of sin and Satan and the evil one and all of those threats that are around us. What Genesis 1 starts with and says, at the very beginning, you need to know this. Nothing that comes against you is stronger than our God. Our God is stronger. Our God is greater. God, you are higher than any other, all right? And, and Genesis 1 says, you know, all of the, again, what, what Moses is doing is he's naming the enemies of that day, the Tanin, he, the, the, the sun, which was, you know, the god Ra. He's naming all of those things that were full of power, and he's saying, no, they're not. They're not. God is the one who has ultimate power. He is sovereign. And I want you to know that whatever it is you're facing today, it is not bigger than our God. Whatever your tanin is, whatever your sea creature is, whatever it is that is threatening your life, it is not bigger than our God, all right? So that's the first thing. God has no threats or competitors. That is one of the main themes of Genesis 1. Second, God's word. God's word is powerful, okay? God speaks and things happen. Eight times in Genesis 1 we read, and God said, let, let there be light, let the waters teem. Let there be a separation. Let there be this. Eight times God says let. If you're going, well, math, Ron, there were six days. Why eight times? Well, on days three and six, he does it twice. He does land and vegetation, and over here he does animals and humans, okay? So you get two of those on those days. Eight times God speaks. That's how God creates things, through the power of his word. And six times we read, and it was so. All right? God says it and it's happened. God's word is powerful. God speaks, and it's powerful. And, and I think this sets up two important things for us, okay? Two things that, that makes a difference for this, and I think the first one is one Moses clearly has in mind, and the second one we can look back on. But the first one is this, God's word, the Bible, is powerful, right? The God who speaks to us, who spoke all creation into being, is also the God who speaks to us in this book, and we say the one who created all things, the one who gives life, is the one whose word is also here. And so what Moses is setting us up for is to recognize that this book gives life. Not in a magical sort of way, but because it's God's word. And as God speaks to us through this book, it gives us life. And that's why we listen to it. That's why we obey it. And, and, and we look at this book, not as just this rule book, but it's this book that gives life. I mean, again, think about it. Some of you know the Ten Commandments, right? The, 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 we're, they're pretty familiar to all of us. We fight about whether they should be in courtrooms or not in our country and so on. But the Ten Commandments, pay attention to how Moses introduced the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, 1 and 2. We read this, and God spoke. Ah, God speaks. When God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, life comes. When God thinks, speaks, people come alive. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And what Moses, I think, is setting us up for already in Genesis 1, by saying God speaks everything into creation, that God's word is powerful, that when we come to God's commandments, we recognize that they are life. They are, they are, they are the source of strength and life and the good word. God's word to us is always a word of blessing. It comes in the form of a command because it's, because it's ultimately God's way to bless. It's God's way to, to create. And, and he's telling us how he created and what we were created to do. And, and, and so as I think about that, and I think about in, in Genesis 1, you know, when God said, let there be light, I also have to then say, when God speaks in this word, and, and he says, live this way, I'm saying, okay, that's where life is. 
That's where light is, all right? And, and, and so God's word, the Bible, is powerful. And the other thing is, and I don't think Moses had this in mind, but I think we can look back on it, that is that, that God's word will one day become flesh in Jesus. There is parallel going on here. And, and again, now, I, I want to be clear about this. I don't think that Moses had in mind the Trinity, okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't think we find that in Genesis 1. There are some interesting things to look at. But, but, but the whole Old Testament is saying one God, one God, one God, one God, one God, okay? That's what it's saying over and over again. So I don't think Moses saw that, that this word was Jesus, but John does. The Apostle John does is he tells us his story of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Terry read it earlier. Well, how does it start? In the beginning. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. John is telling us about the new creation, about the one through whom it was made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, that word that was spoken is actually a person. Again, Moses didn't know this, but we can look back from our end and say, you know what, God wasn't alone there. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And, and, and so as we read Genesis 1, in our position, while Moses didn't know what he was doing, we can look back and say, you know what, that word that Moses saw was indeed the word of God. That word that God spoke was indeed Jesus. It was the word there. And so we can look back and say, okay, we see this again. God's word is powerful. The third thing, the third thing that I think we need to recognize out of Genesis 1 is this, that God creates out of love. This is huge. God creates out of love. Not an accident. We're not some divine accident, as kind of a, a naturalist evolutionist would say. And, and in the Egyptian world, what, what happens with creation, it's all out of need. In the Egyptian world, Ra needs a place to stand, so he creates earth. And, and, and he needs a, 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 somebody to serve him, so he creates human being. In, in the Egyptian world, it was that God created out of need. And, and God made stuff to take care of himself. He doesn't create out of need. He doesn't create out of loneliness, Okay. God wasn't sitting around feeling terribly lonely and said, I wonder if I could have somebody else to talk to. God was perfectly happy. What God wanted to do, I mean, the picture we get throughout the rest of Scripture is that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are perfectly happy. There's this great, amazing circle of love as they care for each other, as they serve each other, as they give of themselves to each other. And what creation is about is saying, let's expand the circle. Let's create something else to love. Let's create something else to bless. And we see that in, in just some really interesting ways. It's out of a desire to share his love and bless others. We see that in some interesting ways in, in Genesis 1 again. That God comes in. And, and, and you see, I, part of the reason I want you to think about this is, is God's nature. Who God is, is grace. Who God is, is love. Who God is at the core of his being is serving and giving and focusing on others. And, and, and it's not that, well, God was just powerful, and then after people fell into sin, then God had to be gracious. No, grace is in God's character. Giving and loving and serving is in God's character from the beginning. God provides good things for people. Food. Again, Egyptian world, the, gods, uh, the people provided food for the gods. But God now says no. I'm here to take care of you. Then God said, Genesis 1:29. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. 
I, again, we just kind of read that and we say, yeah, that's what it says. But you've got to understand, this is completely turning upside down a view of God. This is completely turning that upside down so that instead of me now being afraid of God, I see God as my loving father. I see God as somebody whose desire it is to bless me and, and to grow me and to, and to invite me into his circle of love and caring and giving. And it changes how I see God. Do you understand that? It, it's so important. So God provides good things for his people. God blesses his creation twice in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verse 22 says God blessed them. This is the birds and the, and the fish. God blessed them. He said, just, I love you. That's, that's God's word of blessing. And, and, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. God speaks to his creation. All right? Creation is, is, is able to respond. And creation lives in that relationship with God as well. And God just blesses his creation because he wants them to flourish. He wants them to just become all that he created them to become. That's what God's heart is. God's heart towards his world is blessing. And then Genesis 1, we'll look at it more next week. But God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. God blesses his creation, all right? God, he creates, again, out of love. That's who our God is. He's great and he's good. He's awesome and he's also loving and kind. And, and then just one other little fun thing here. God creates swarms of creatures, and not just one, okay? When God is creating, you have to read Genesis 1, and when you read it, you have to kind of get this sense of, of the playfulness of God, of, of the fun that, that, that God is having. Genesis 1, verse 20, verse A says this. Uh, 120A says this. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Let it teem with living creatures. Again, Scott Jose points out that there's a Hebrew expert who, who suggests, and, and it's in the Hebrew, it would more literally be this. And God said, let the water swarm with swarming swarms of living creatures. In, in the Hebrew, it's saying, let it swarm with swarming swarms. And, and, and what God is doing is, again, he's just kind of just having a great time creating all these different kind of fish and, and blue and red and yellow and green and all this. And, and the picture we get is he's creating swarms and swarms of swarms. I mean, he, he's just doing this stuff and he's piling one on the other and he's just having a riot. I, I think Genesis intends us to see God is creating this world and he is having a great time. God creates all the colors and he creates all the smells and he creates all the textures and with all these animals, he just creates all these different kinds. I mean, he could have made a hundred kinds of fish, but he didn't. He made so many more. And there are just so, God created the swarming swarms and all the birds and all of the animals on the land and all of this stuff. And, and, and so we see God again just loving his creation. God just absolutely adoring and loving his creation. He creates creatures that are swarms of, of creatures, not just one. And so again, he creates out of that sense of love. Part of what that means is we've got to love the world too. If we love God, we've we got to love his creation. We've got to care for his creation. He, he had this great sense of love. But we also just need to, to understand, again, like I say, that little kid's prayer, God is great and God is good. That's Genesis 1, right? God is all-powerful and God is loving. And in this creation of the world, what God is doing is creating a space. We're going to look at it more next week, but Genesis 2 is all about God creating a garden so that Adam and Eve could have a place to just enjoy life. That's who God is. That's God's desire for you. He, he creates a place for us to experience love and grace and, and to experience his presence and joy and all of these things. 
We don't experience that now. We'll get to Genesis 3. But the promise is someday we will experience that again. And, and then one more thing that we need to know about creation from God is, in Genesis 1 is this. When, when God creates, he gives things a place and a purpose, okay? What God does is Genesis 1, and this may not sound real important at the beginning, but hopefully you'll catch it as I go through it. Other places in the Bible talk about God creating out of nothing, okay? The, the Bible makes clear, I think, ultimately that God created out of nothing. But Genesis 1 isn't very interested in that. Genesis 1 is not interested in saying there was nothing and then there was this. What Genesis 1 is more interested in saying is, you know, what God did is he had all this kind of stuff there and he put it in its proper place. Let's go back to Genesis. Um, uh, yeah, what Genesis 1 is focusing on, God giving things a place and a purpose. That's what, that's what he's all about. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? God created everything. And then immediately in verse 2, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters, all right? So in, in, in a sense, it starts with there's, there's stuff there. There's the deep. There's, there's God's spirit is hovering over something, right? God's spirit is, is over some, and, and, but, but the idea is, the picture is, is that there's stuff there. Now, the Bible is clear, and, I, and I don't, I'm not denying this at all. We know that God created that stuff, but Genesis 1 is not interested in the immediately of how God created that stuff. What it wants to know is what does God do with that stuff? John Walton, who teaches at Wheaton College in, in Wheaton, Illinois, um, you know, says that word, those words formless and empty, what they mean are, are that the cosmos was empty of purpose, meaning, and function, okay? And, and so one of the best ways I think to picture it is I, all week I've been picturing it is, is this just pile of Legos, Okay, I left a little girl in there. I didn't Photoshop her out because I wanted you to see how big the pile was. But right, in, in a sense, that's the deep. Okay, that's, that's tohu wavohu. Uh, that's the, the Hebrew for it, tohu wavohu, um, which is also the desert, by the way, okay, where the Israelites are. So this is formless and empty. Okay, it just, it's just a mess. I've got this in a crate at home. Uh, uh, we, uh, after four kids, we have about a gazillion Legos, and, and, and they are formless and empty right now in our home, all right? And so, but what God does in creation is God just separates, and he starts to take stuff, and he puts it into place. That's what Genesis 1 is all about. Now, again, I know God made the Legos. The other parts of the Bible tell me that, but what Genesis 1 is interested in, it is God going through all of this and saying, no, let me do this. Watch a few things. When God creates, he gives things a place and a purpose. First of all, notice how often God separates or gather things, right? He often does that. Day one, he separates the light from the darkness. Again, you got your whole pile of Legos and God is going, okay, let's separate some of these things out. Day two, he separates water from water. Some Legos go up, some Legos go down, all right? Day three, he gathers the waters to one place all right, and he gathers a land in that place, okay? Day four, he separates the day from the night. What God is doing is, is he's putting everything in its place, okay? It, it, Genesis 1 is not so interested in saying he calls things out of nothing. In fact, if you read carefully, on day two, God makes nothing new. He just separates, okay? So that's what God is doing. He's separating. He does the plants and the animals are, are to grow according to their kinds, Okay? Everything is clear. You know, there's seeds according to their kinds, and there's animals according to their kinds, and, and all of this stuff. And so God is putting things in their place and then giving them purpose. God gives purposes, the lights. They are to be signs and mark the seasons and so on. In, in, in 1 verse 14, the sun governs the day, the moon governs the night. These things have a purpose, and, and that's what it means for God to, to create in Genesis 1. It's to, it's to put it in its place and, and give, it to, give it a purpose. 
The bird and the fish fill the sea and the sky. Humans fill the earth and subdue it. And so uh, one of the ways to look at Genesis 1 is to imagine it like this. All right, you've got this just formless and empty thing. And what God does is God puts it together with seeds and plants and, and, and trees that grow according to their kind. And God creates the deep with all the different animals and the Leviathan to frolic there. All right. So God is, you know, doing all of this. And then all the land animals, all right? He's putting all those things in place. And then ultimately he puts Adam and Eve in the garden. All right? So the, the picture of creation from Genesis 1 is not as much about saying there was nothing and then there was this. It's about saying there's this whole pile of Legos and God put them together. And God put them in their place. And, and when God got, done, God got done, what did he say? It was all very good, right? What did he mean by that? Everything worked perfectly. Everything did what it was supposed to do. If you've ever played with Legos and you've gotten done with making a big Lego thing and like it's supposed to do something, and if it does it, what do you do? Yes! <laughs> it worked. It worked. That's what God does at the end of creation. He has put all these things in place and he looks down and he says, it's working. It is just the way I wanted it. And everything is in its place and everything has its purpose all right so what does that mean for us two things first of all god's design for creation is shalom all right it is peace it is order we don't experience that right now right now the ground doesn't produce the way it's supposed to produce it produces weeds and other things and our bodies don't work the way that they're supposed to but what this tells us what god wants us to know is there was a time when everything was exactly where it's supposed to be and there will be a time when everything is going to be like that again and so if you are experiencing chaos right now, I want you to know God will put an end to that. And someday it's going to be way, the way it's supposed to be, all right? And, and, and so that's God's design. He is creating shalom. God's desire is to once again create a place where everything is the place it's supposed to be. And it means there's purpose in our world, all right? Uh, again, last week we talked about this. And I talked about my atheist friend who said, you know, there's no purpose in anything. The fact is, God gives each and every one of us a purpose. Next week, we're going to talk about what that is in general. But I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing to discover when you say, you know what, this is what God made me to do. This is who I am. Every person in this place, every blade of grass, every tree, every cloud, every animal has a purpose ordained by God. And one of the joys of life is trying to discover that purpose. When I look at Tammy as a nurse, when I look at Kaylee as a mom, I say, that's who they are. That's who they are. And you have purpose. In a broken world, we don't always discover exactly what it's supposed to be, and it doesn't always work exactly right. But I want to just challenge you to say, you know what? God is looking for goodness, and you are good when you are doing what God has called you to do. The world may tell you you're nobody, but God says you have a purpose. So those are the things. God, God is so great, and God is so good. And our only response is to sing, how great thou art. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, you are great. You are so big and so strong and mighty and powerful. And yet you are so good. You give us good gifts. You give us food. You give us purpose. You give us your son, Jesus, ultimately to die for us. So, Father, right now, lift our voices, lift our eyes, help us to see you, and help us to sing every day of this week how great thou art.
heart. Let's stand and sing together.